when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some made fun of the disciples and said they've had too much wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. And he was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And 
God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. And then... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. We have had six months of sermons on the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for this whole time that we have dedicated to the spirits. Because in our churches, we often don't focus on the Holy Spirit. But from January 6th to June 9th, we have heard God spoke and speaking a word to us. We've seen the Holy Spirit give the church joy and courage and patience and healing. We've seen the Holy Spirit defeat Satan and demons. We've seen the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin and show us the beauty of God. And after six months, you might wonder, what is the difference? We've done a lot of talking, or at least I've done a lot of talking. But what's the, what's the difference? Why would we commit six months to this? I mean, do we just know more information? Do we just have better answers to some of our questions? That would be good, there's no doubt about that. But what is the difference with the Spirit? You may have wondered, for those of you who are longtime members of this church, why I would choose this sermon series to start off as a preaching minister of this church. You may be wondering what the new preacher thinks this church should do or where this church should go. And this chapter is as good as any to show you. This chapter condenses 
what I think the church is, what I think the church should do, and where I think this church should go. And it's, what's most important is not what I think, but what the Spirit does in the church begun by Jesus Christ. And because I'm a preacher, I'm going to tell you five things I see in this, and we're going to go through them in order, okay? Five gifts that I see the Holy Spirit give to the church that I would want to see in every church. Now, I'm lucky this week because the fourth and fifth graders just got back from VIP camp, and they talked about the Spirit all week. So if I'm confusing, just ask them. They'll know it better than me. They actually experienced the Holy Spirit this week. You need to ask some of them about that. But the first thing I see in a Spirit-filled church is something that's probably the most intense and the thing that will make you most uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to perform miracles. These disciples gather in a room together. They're celebrating the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends on them, and they are able to speak other languages that they have not learned. These are Galileans. They probably knew Aramaic, maybe a little bit of Hebrew and Greek. There's no way they knew all these other languages. And this crowd gathers around the house where they hear this noise, and these disciples, these men, filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in languages they don't know. They didn't go to school for this. It is a miracle. I've actually been in churches before where people have spoken in tongues. And I'll tell you what, it will get your attention pretty quickly. Miracles do that. They show people that it's not just us at work. We're not just a nonprofit organization that happens to gather on Sundays and go to lunch afterwards together. We are empowered by God. And the first thing that they do when they receive the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is they perform signs and wonders. And, and everybody asks the only question that makes sense when you see a miracle, what does this mean? And so Peter stands up and says, what we've been waiting for is finally here. It's the Holy Spirit. The only explanation to what we're doing is the Spirit of God. And then he gives this incredible sermon, and it must have been really good because no one makes excuses. No one tries to wiggle their way out of it. They ask, what do we do? Peter says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If the first kind of sign of the church is to perform these miracles and signs and wonders, the second is baptism. Because we actually have behind here a baptistry where people get into the waters, and we don't think that's some empty symbol we don't think it's a funny initiation process. We believe that when someone gets into those waters, they are changed. They aren't the same. The Spirit fills them. That is the second sign of the church. People who are baptized 
and forgiven of their sins. And the third sign, after miracles, after baptism, is preaching. Peter doesn't tell everybody, yeah, no, no, your life is pretty good right now. Everything's okay. Don't worry. Relax. He doesn't give them an upgrade on life. He doesn't give them a self-esteem boost. He says, you need to be saved. You need to be rescued. And he's not just saying that to a crowd of people he's looking down upon. This is Peter, remember? Just a month ago when his, his Messiah was being crucified on a cross, what did he do? He betrayed him three times and ran away. Sin is not foreign to Peter. He knows that all of us, all of us, need to hear the good news. That's the, that's the third sign of a spirit-filled church. It's a preaching church where people are told, no, no, everything is not okay. We're all sinners. We struggle to live up to God's commands. And we need to hear each week, each week, that God has done something to rescue us. The fourth thing that we see in this spirit-filled church is called koinonia. Can everybody say that? One, two, three. Koinonia. Man, A plus. Good job. Koinonia. It's a Greek word that means fellowship or communion. The word that they use is breaking of bread. And it means two things. First of all, it means breaking bread in people's actual homes. But second of all, it's talking about what we now call the Lord's Supper. It happens here every single week. And Jesus said, you need both. You need to break bread in people's homes, but also you need this meal. You, when we come to church, we don't just ingest religious ideas. We ingest spiritual food that Jesus says we need. So first, signs and wonders, miracles that the Spirit gives us the power to do. Second, baptism for the forgiveness of sin. Third, preaching. Fourth, breaking bread together. And five, caring for members in need. In this Spirit-filled church in Acts chapter 2, members don't just receive, they give. And they don't think that the church does some charity for poor people. The poor are part of the church. We don't do charity for them. We all have needs. And some of our brothers and sisters have greater needs, and so what we do is help. Because the church in Acts chapter 2 is together and has everything in common with each other. And here's the thing. I know a church is a church if it has those five things. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for full pews. I'm not looking for attendance or money or status or popularity. I am looking for a faithful church, not a full church. I'm looking for a church filled with the Spirit. Our churches get down on ourselves because of attendance and money 
and status and popularity. That is not what Acts chapter 2 church is about. It's about loving the poor among us and hearing preaching every single week and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins and being open to the miraculous wonders of God and breaking bread together in the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but my wife, Allison, is an incredible cook, okay? I'm bragging on her because she's right there, right? This gives me points. No, no, no. Uh, she is an incredible cook, and throughout college, I viewed food as kind of fuel. Like, my body is a machine. It needs three uh, meals for fuel, and that's all I viewed food as. And then I met Allison, and food is something you cherish. You prepare. It has flavor. It's not just functional. It's something that you share with other people. I think the most complicated meal I made in college was spaghetti, and I had never been more proud in my life. But Allison can make a feast. And I had been missing out on this incredible idea that food is more than just fuel. And the difference between a church that just has one or two of these five things and a church that has all five of these things is the difference between food as fuel and food as a celebration, a feast. Are we just fine with scraps? Do we just want one or two of those things that we're comfortable with? Or do we want the whole feast that the Holy Spirit is spreading before us? Do we want all five? And I mean it, all five. Not the ones that we're used to. Churches of Christ, we, we love Acts chapter 2, and we've so often focused on preaching and baptism. But we need the full, full display of the Spirit's gifts. I don't want to settle for scraps. I don't want to settle to view the Holy Spirit as functional or fuel to get through the day. I don't want to just live by the Spirit. I want to thrive by the Spirit. And this series is finally coming to an end, but the Holy Spirit is not done with us. This is not the end of us talking about the Holy Spirit. Regardless of the way that this church zigs and zags throughout time, God has always sustained us. God knows the future of this church. Whether this church will exist in 500 years or 100 years, I don't think God is worried in the slightest. What he wants us to be, what he is calling us to be, is to be a spirit-filled church. Let's not settle for scraps anymore. Let's enjoy the whole feast my past, I've settled for scraps, but when I've seen the full working of the Spirit, the feast that He lays before us, I want that. I want nothing less for this church than to receive all of the Spirit's gifts. And I, I'm really asking all of you to join me in praying for our church to receive all of these things. Go ahead and pray for the ones that make you uncomfortable breaking bread with other people in my home 
do I really want that? Do I really want to be open to the supernatural power of God working in our lives? Am I really open to that? Am I really open to preaching? Not just me doing it, but me actually hearing the words of the sermon. Am I really open to baptism and what it truly means to be forgiven of all of your sins? Are we open? I want to be open to the Spirit. Because the same Spirit that gave the first apostles all of these gifts is the same Spirit that is empowering every single one of you this morning. The Spirit has not run out of gifts and will not withhold His gifts. The Spirit is the gift that keeps on giving. And the only question is, which gifts will we receive? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you don't just prepare the basics of what we need. You go above and beyond. You are lavish in the gifts that you give us. You overwhelm us, not with the bare minimum, but abundance. You help us. You save us. You rescue us. But you want us to flourish. You don't just want us to live. You want us to thrive. And we pray that we all become more open to the gifts of the Spirit. I pray for my, just for my own life. Please, Father, help us to be more open to all the Spirit's gifts. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.